Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Good morning. Thank you for turning, uh, tuning in to uh, the Feathered Desert. This is Cheryl, and don't worry, Kirsten is um, right next to me. Hello. So you're not um, stuck with just listening to me this morning. Um, today we're going to talk about warblers and orioles. Um, a question we get a lot of at the Wild Birds um, Unlimited store in the Phoenix Valley here is um, by our winter visitors, they come in and they want to know where all the colorful birds are. They have these cute little brown birds and um, these bird feeding hobbyists um, want to know how they can get colorful birds, which is why they're so interested in the lovebirds. But two things. One, first, they're looking for colorful birds in the winter, which is the birds off season to begin with. They're not vibrant and colorful. You don't want to be a bright yellow bird when a Cooper's hawk is looking for lunch. So the second reason is um, our colorful birds um, migrate through in the spring and the fall. And before we talk about warblers and orioles, we need to talk about uh, their migration and um, why they're here, how they get here, other than on their wings, but what brings them up this way, and um, the types of those birds that uh, visit Arizona. And that's Kirsten. So she's going to talk to us about migration and um, of the ori orioles and warblers. All right. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Uh, the first thing is, what is migration? The Oxford English Dictionary definition of migration is the seasonal movement of animals from one region to another. And that's a perfectly good explanation of what yes. migration is. Yes. That's exactly what it is. So what to keep in mind with our songbirds is there are two migrations. There's a spring migration where they come up from the south and go north. Up, uh, Many of them go all the way past us towards Canada. And then the fall. So they're coming back down from Canada through the U.S. down into Mexico and uh, Central and South uh, Mexico as well. So that's what we have to keep in mind. We have two. And those are our opportunities to attract these really vibrant birds, such as our Orioles and Warblers that we're going to discuss today, to our yards. So in the fall, they have actually estimated how many birds travel through migration season here in the U.S., and that's 5 billion birds of more than 200 different species actually leave North America for Central and South America. That's a lot of birds. Yeah. And hopefully some of those will be able to attract. Now, the other question is why? Why would they take this great long journey? It's very long. It's very dangerous. And it's actually a way to help them survive winter weather, essentially, when food resources are scarce. So when they're coming up, what they're doing is coming into an area where lots of resources are now blooming and they have lower predation from predators and then also uh, lower competition from the birds that they've been overwintering with. So they're essentially following the food. And if they were to stay down in Central and South America, everybody would be competing for the same resources that are there pretty much all year round because it's more of a tropical area there. And then they're competing against their neighbor for food, for a nesting site, and that just doesn't help you raise four babies every year. 
So that's what they do. They're following the food and they're having less competition and fewer predators as well because the predators, such as the Cooper's hawks that you mentioned before, they spread themselves out as well. So you have a better chance of survival. So preparation, what do they do to actually survive this migration? So they know when they're supposed to go because the light starts to change during the day and then their internal hormones are responding to the light changes in the day and then they just begin to chow down. They are just eating food and eating as much food as they can. They're putting as many high calorie food options into their little bodies so they can put a bunch of fat on and then they can make it through that long flight because many of them actually are non-stop flyers. They don't necessarily like some of our Orioles and some of our warblers actually stop along the way. They just fly straight through which that's, that's a lot. I mean, geez, it's hard for me to drive 30 minutes from work to home um, sometimes without a snack. So that's, that's a long, long way for them to go. And that's also a good question too, is how far exactly are they going after they've chugged down all that food and they're ready to go? Um, in North America, the longest migratory route is actually 11,000 kilometers and that is a non-stop migration of the barred-tailed godwit. They go from Alaska to New Zealand across the Pacific Ocean. That's a very, very far, far, far distance. And that's one shot. So you know they're sucking down that food before they leave Alaska. Now in North America, most of our migration routes are north to south because of the way our landscape is, the way the continent is built. Um, interestingly enough, though, in Europe, the migration is east to west. And that's because of the way Europe is laid out and um, the way their continent is with uh, mountains and whatnot. I thought that was very interesting. That is interesting. Fact. So um, dangers, as we were talking about before, you definitely have to worry about predation on your way there. But they are really looking at exhaustion, like these barred-tailed godwits that are flying all the way across the Pacific Ocean. Not all of them make that. Yeah, because they're not stopping. I mean because they obviously don't float. Or right, there's swim. no place yeah, to stop in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> so they're looking at exhaustion. You're looking at running into harsh weather, which happens a lot, especially in hurricane season when that happens a little bit early during our spring uh, migration. They get thrown off course quite a bit. Um, predation, of course, you're looking at that. And then um, the whole destination is a gamble. So they are hoping that when they get there, there's enough resources to survive and that they can successfully raise young. Climate change is also affecting that as well because we have a lot of insect eating birds that migrate up and they have their whole lives time to where they get here right when the caterpillars are coming out of their eggs and they're missing it now by a window of a couple of weeks and that throws off everything because now they're ready to lay eggs but there's no caterpillars or the caterpillars have already hatched early and they've gone into their uh, pupa state, which is a chrysalis or a cocoon, and they've missed the caterpillars altogether. So that's something else that they're gambling on. So I read uh, recently that the spring migration is faster than the fall migration. So that's probably part of it is they're trying to race against time to get there while the food sources are still readily available. Yeah, that does make sense. So today, like we said, we're going to talk about Orioles and Warblers, but we want to talk about Warblers first. Yes, I've got the Warblers because I've actually had these in my yard. I have not had the privilege of having an Oriole visit my yard, but I have had Warblers. So Warblers are insect migrating um, birds, obviously, and they are more insect um, driven. 
so they bring a welcome motion and sound to our gardens in the summer. Warblers are often referred to as the butterflies of the bird world. And warblers are small, colorful, and extremely active insect eaters. They're really hard to get a picture of because they do not sit for very long. They flock in large mixes. So you can sometimes see up to six different species together uh, during the spring and fall migrations. Um, warblers can be identified as small birds with sharp, short beaks. They can be gray, olive, or green. Many are with patterns that are bright yellow, red, orange, blue, black, and white. Their underpants, um, underpants. I, I thought that was cute, so I put that in there, may be plain or streaked or striped. I want to mention just four warblers that I've seen in my neighborhood or um, in my backyard. And the first one is the yellow warbler. Now I live in the middle of Gilbert. So um, for me to have yellow warblers, I thought was like, you know, very unusual. But I got them in my yard last two years, two summers in a row. They are plain yellow faced with dark eyes, yellow edges on dark winged feathers with yellow spots on their tail. Males have reddish uh, streaks on their chest. So they're, they're very um, easy to identify in that sense, especially if you see a yellow bird with dark eyes, that contrast just pops out at you. Um, there's the Wilson warbler. It's a lo uh, small, long-tailed, and it's all yellow. And no white on the tail or wings. And the males have a black cap on their head. And so that's a distinction that you can look for. The yellow rumped warbler I've seen in my yard and I've also seen at the Gilbert Water Ranch um, that we have here in our area. It has a bright yellow rump patch, which is noticeable when the bird flies away and white spots on its tail. And here's one, the painted red start. It's flashy red, black and white white on the outer tail feathers and wing patch and red chest mostly black males and females are equally flashy so the male and the female look alike and i have seen these birds not in my yard but they've been in my neighborhood and along um, over at the gilbert uh, water ranch that riparian area i've seen them there too and it, um, they just pop out of the green because of their colors yeah yeah so now Kirsten is going to talk to us a little bit about Orioles. Yes, our Orioles here, I have been lucky enough, I live out in Apache Junction area, I have been lucky enough to see the hooded Oriole out in my yard. And we have three main ones here that you could possibly see during migration. And also I have discovered that a couple of them actually over summer with us but it's unusual to see them in the valley area. They usually kind of bypass us for some more flowery type areas a little bit farther north of us. But this year in 2021, we have had many, many customers come into the store at uh, the Mesa store and tell us, hey, I have this orange and black bird in my yard. And we're like, oh my gosh, well, it could be an Oriole. And we look at the pictures and our ID guides and they're like, oh, that's it. So we've had Bullock's Orioles and Hooded Orioles this year. I think that it's nature saying, here's a break for you. Uh -huh. Since 2020 was not the best year in the world, it's like, here's some pretty birds to make you happy. So we've actually got quite a few of the Bullocks and Hooded Oriole sightings this year, and that does uh, excite me very much. So let's start with our Bullocks Oriole first. 
Our Bullock's Oriole is actually a medium-sized bird. The male is mostly bright orangey-yellow with a black crown. He has black eye line. He has a black throat stripe. He has a black back and a black central tail. So if you look at that tail and it looks like there's a stripe going right down the middle of the tail, that's him. The wings are also black with large white patches. The females will have a yellow head and a throat with um, buff underparts. So she is the same size, but like many of our female songbirds, a little more dull. She's understated. She is understated, definitely. Um, their diet, they do like to eat insects, seeds, but their big thing for them are fruits and berries. And that's a thing that you will notice when I talk about all these Orioles is they are very attracted to nectar and fruits. So one of the really cool things about almost all these Orioles is their nest. If you get the opportunity to see one of their nests, it's one of the coolest things. It's actually a woven nest that looks like a pendant. It's a pendant nest. So just like if you have a pendant hanging from a necklace, that's what this is. It's completely woven. So it's all enclosed, a little hole there for them to get in and they make it out of plant fibers. It's very, very cool. And so they'll use here in the valley, um, they will use the palm fronds from palm trees. And also, you know, if there's some string hanging around that they happen to find outside, they're gonna use that as well. And uh, a cool, interesting fact about the Bullock's Oriole is that these are one of the only birds that will actually puncture and eject the brown-headed cowbird eggs. Oh, good. Yes, and brown-headed cowbirds, just a quick aside, are parasitic birds. They lay their eggs in somebody else's nest, and they make those people take care of their kids. Most of the other birds in, that are parasitized by the brown-headed cowbird, they just raise the chick because they're like, oh, it's in my nest, so I'm going to do it. The Bullock's Oriole says, no, no, get out, and they refuse to raise them. So these guys, the Bullock's Oriole, will actually, over uh, spring and summer, will stay with us in Arizona, and hopefully... In the valley sometime this year, you guys will catch those guys. Now the Bullock's Oriole actually um, goes from uh, south, southern Mexico to southern British Columbia. So over a 3,000 mile trip. That's their migratory route. And I tell you what, if I'm in southern Mexico and I get into Arizona and it looks good, I'm staying. I'm not gonna go all the way to <laughs> British Columbia. If it's nice here, I'm staying. So and the who? Yes, and some of them do, and I think that's what's happening this year as well. So the hooded oriole is the one that I have seen in my yard. I got so excited. I just saw this flash of orange-yellow right in front of my face. and I was like, what is that? And I looked over, and it was a hooded oriole. Now, they're also a medium-sized bird. The male has bright orange-yellow head and nape. Notice, no black head. I don't know why these guys are called a hooded oriole, because there's no black on his head. He's all orange on the head, but he does have a small black face. Uh, his throat and upper breast will also be black. He'll have those dark black wings and then two white bars and his tail will be black. So I guess maybe the hood refers to the orange on his body. I'm not sure. Uh, the female will be the same size, but she'll be more of a yellowish green with olive gray underparts. So once again, understated as well. These guys are very, very attracted to fruits and nectar and they also eat insects as well. They have a very pointed beak and they use that to actually pierce the flower at the base of the, uh, or pierce the flower at its base to get to the nectar, which I thought was very interesting. And that's what I saw them doing in my front yard. They were actually on my acatillo when they were uh, blooming and he was biting right at the end, bottom of that flower, not ripping it apart, but just piercing it enough to get that nectar out, which was so fun to watch them do. Uh, these guys also make the pendant woven nest and they will attach that to a leaf or branch 
uh, by uh, sewing it. The female is the one who takes care of this part. And uh, when they nest suspended from palm leaves like that, the female actually pokes holes in the leaf from below. And then she pushes fibers through it, essentially sewing her nest to the palm frond above it, which I would love to watch them yes. do that. These guys will also stay with us during the spring and the summer. And uh, like I said, this year, 2021, we're lucky enough to have them stay with us all summer. So the third one that is a possibility to see, it's a little bit more rare, but this is the Scots Oriole. Uh, still the same size, medium-sized bird. The males have a black hood. Once again, thinking, why isn't this one the hooded Oriole? <laughs> but this is the Scots Oriole. And uh, the black hood actually extends all the way down the breast in the back. His belly and rump are a bright yellow. And the wings are black with yellow shoulder patches. So that's a difference. If you see them with the yellow shoulder patch, you're looking at the Scots. And then he has two white bars. His tail is also yellow with a thick black tip along the bottom. And the female is a duller gray. Um, sorry, she's duller with a gray hood. And she has the black breast patch and mottled black on her back. They are attracted a bit more to insects than our other two. But they also like berries, cactus, fruit, and nectar, just like our other Orioles. Their nest also is a pendant shape that is woven. Um, but these guys are attracted to yuccas. So if you have a lot of yuccas in your neighborhood, or um, if you go out to a, a desert preserve or something that has a lot of yuccas, check those out. Because these guys are attracted to the yuccas and they use those palm fibers to uh, make their pendant nest. Their season, once again, is also spring and summer with us. This one's interesting about the Scots Oriole. If you happen to be have them in your neighborhood or you're um, overnighting in the desert, uh, if you're camping out, um, they're one of the very first birds to start singing every day um, in the morning, and it's just before sunrise. So if you hear this unusual song and you're not sure, hmm, I wonder what that is. I've never noticed it before. Then uh, jump on uh, a website, maybe on Cornell, and see if you can pull the Scots Oriole up and listen and see if that's the song. And you might be actually hearing that Scots Oriole. The Scots Oriole is competing with the um, curb-bill thrasher. Yes. But they have a very distinct difference. Now, of course, the thrasher is a bit of a mimicker, so you yes. never know. Yes. You'll be fooling you. But uh, <laughs> those are the three different Orioles that you might see here in the valley. And hopefully you'll see that nice uh, splot of orange um, sometime this year. All right. Now, so now that we kind of know what we're looking at, how do we attract these birds to our yard? Yes, I'm going to share that with you. So um, I, since I haven't had Orioles, I'm not quite sure how to get them to my yard, but I do know how to attract warblers. Um, so warblers eat mostly insects and spiders. Some in the winter will eat seeds and berries. Yellow rump warblers that actually winters here um, eats berries. Uh, you can offer, since they're insect eaters, you can offer no melt dough products. These are great, a great substitute for insects they like to eat and they will go to our no melt dough um, cakes and suet cylinders. Some of them have a sweet tooth, but I don't know, I think I'd stick with naturally nuts or nuts and berries for the most part. Water is one of the best attractions for all warblers, and this is the reason that I have had warblers in my yard. I have two large bird baths with um, uh, water wigglers that um, keep the water moving, and I have a mister, and it's, they're kind of back in a corner where there's a lot of vegetation. And my yellow warbler, I have seen, I had three of them um, last year, 
and that's where they were. They were hanging around the mister and in and out of the bush, and the mister in and out of the bush. And they were there for a little over a day. So I'm not sure if they were just like, oh, this is a nice place to rest. Before they went wherever, which way they went, I couldn't tell you whether they were going north or south. Um, but they were there and it was quite a joy to have them. Um, so again, water is one of the best attractions for all warblers. A bird bath that is with that is clean. I know clean, fresh water is important for Orioles too. Um, with a motion sensor that moves the water, which attracts all birds. The sound of water dripping is often more attractive to warblers than actually the moving water. And I didn't know that, but I think my mist, the mister makes this uh, sound like spray off of a moving water in a mm. creek or um, probably because it's clogged, but I haven't cleaned it since <laughs> I read this because, you know, I wanted to make the sound now so that the warblers will stop by and visit. Um, Orioles, like I said, are attracted to a clean bird bath with moving water. Warblers like preferred bushy areas, thicketed areas, to um, so to create the space. Uh, the kind of cover in your yard, bush piles or um, overgrown thickets. I have um, some Mexican petunias. I have a um, uh, chuparosa and a uh, wolfberry bush and a feather um, fairy duster. And they're all along my backyard and they kind of like grow into each other. And that's where I put my bird bass back in that corner. So I can tell you that the warblers go from the Mexican petunia to the fairy duster bush to the um, water and then back again. And that's where I've seen them. And it gives them a great shelter and a nice place to rest uh, while they're migrating. Um, Plant some of their favorite trees and plants. Some war warblers, I found this interesting, love poison ivy. Oh, I'm not gosh. suggesting that we listen, that um, our listeners plant this desirable plant. I don't because, think so. oh my gosh, it makes me break out in a rash. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else. But it's an example of leaving something for wildlife. Yes. I don't, we don't even have, I don't think poison ivy is, uh, is a, a native plant that grows in the Phoenix Valley, but I am familiar with it from the East Coast. Yes. So our East Coast warblers um, enjoy poison ivy. Um, warblers like open air nests in forks of trees. And there are 20 different species of warblers that migrate through or visit our valley. So, and every one is distinct in how they wanna build their nest and how they place it and how they look. So, um, but they all like an open cup uh, nest. They will use plant fibers, um, materials, they use cobwebs, bark, and grasses to build their nests. And when you're thinking about attracting warblers, think that they're insects and you might want to curb your chemical use of pesticides in your yard. Let warblers eat those pests. They eat bees, spiders, beetles, aphids, caterpillars. Some are like berries, some like seeds. But then some warblers, like the painted red start, which I actually didn't know was a warbler until I did research mm. for this podcast, may be seen on hummingbird feeders because they have a sweet tooth and they like to drink the sugar water. Oh, well. So if you, have, if you happen to see them, um, hummingbird feeder, well, I don't know if they can get in there. Well, they have, they have sh uh, short pointed beaks, mm. but they might be able to get a little taste from an Oriole feeder. Yes. And um, Kirsten's going to talk to us about Orioles and types of Oriole, Oriole feeders and tips on tracking them to, the yard, to your yard. 
Yes. Now, uh, attracting Orioles is something that you have to take into consideration with the environment that you have around you. So these guys are attracted to those large old growth trees. So as they're um, migrating through and then if they decide to oversummer with us, then it really is going to depend on what is around your area. So if you're in a brand new apartment building or a brand new neighborhood and there's not any large old growth trees, you may not be able to attract Orioles right away. You might have to wait a couple of seasons, but um, if you have those large Ocotillos, um, they'll be attracted by the food. And if you see them in your yard, then what you can do is put out an Oriole feeder. And there are a couple of different types that you can do. The one that I use actually is a tray feeder, which is the one that looks like a little flying spaceship. And what's interesting about this one, it looks very similar to a hummingbird feeder, but the ports are larger so that the Orioles can get their beaks down in there because their beaks are obviously much larger than the hummingbirds. And it's orange. Instead of being red, it's orange in color. And that is to mimic many of the flowers that they're attracted to and the fruits that they're attracted to. And that's what I use for mine. And in it, what you use is the nectar, just like you make for hummingbirds. So four parts water, one part sugar, and that's what you put in your tray feeder for Orioles. They're also on the tray feeders will be little um, kind of indentations on the top and that space is for jelly. If you want to do some jelly, this is going to be a no sugar added, no extra sugary anything in it jelly. So it's just going to be jelly made from the fruit and you can purchase those at many Wild Birds Unlimited stores and throughout the country. Here at our Mesa store, we don't carry it because like we say, we only see these guys for a couple of weeks, but you can also order it online. But you wanna make sure that you're getting something that is no sugar added, no aspartame, no sugar substitutes, anything like that, just plain stuff. And if you happen to be like um, one of those organic shoppers who goes to the different stores that are around, you can look there. They often have stuff like that as well. And you can use that. Uh, there are also platform feeders, which are kind of flat, and uh, almost like a fly through. There's usually a roof over it and there's little spikes on it. And you're thinking, what are those spikes for? Is it keeping the pigeons off? <laughs> no, those spikes are for you to put orange halves on there. And that is another way to attract Orioles. They love oranges. Of course, here you're also gonna attract your Gila woodpeckers with that as well. And mine loves an orange. Yes, and so oranges are a great way to do that. One, they're the color orange, and two, they're, they've got that sweet juice that the Orioles really love. And if you don't get a platform feeder specifically for that, you can actually put out orange halves in your tree. Just put it on a little tiny branch on there, make sure that it won't fall off, and you can just put a half an orange out there. There are also cup feeders, and uh, we do carry different types of cup feeders here at the WBU Mesa store, and you can put the jelly in that, or you can put an orange half in that, um, and then there are ones that are specific for jelly that we have seen actually just recently when I was doing research for this one, and it's, it's almost like tilted cup and it's got a rim on the outside and you put the jelly in there and then the Oriole has to kind of hang on the front of it and, and pick it out like it's eating off of a cactus fruit. So that's also uh, an option there as well. And my biggest tip for you for this is keep it clean. This has got a lot of sugar in this food and that's gonna just get caked all over your feeder. You want to make sure that you have taken precautions to not attract ants because as soon as ants get all over it the orioles are like that's it yeah. i'm done 
And uh, the tray feeder that I use has a built-in ant moat. So I make sure I put water in that to keep the ants, because I do hang mine from my tree. So if they come down that rope that I have it on, onto the hook, they can't get to the uh, nectar and uh, spoil it. And then the same thing for jelly. I mean, that's, that's some sweet stuff. Everybody wants that. So the main thing is to keep it clean. Now, since these guys are staying here in our valley with us over the spring and summer, um, it's the end of May at our recording and we're already triple digits. So I am changing my nectar every day because that nectar can go fast, can go bad really fast. So if I want these little guys to come and enjoy their meal and come back again, I'm changing it often. So that's my main tip for that is keep it clean. And keep your bird baths clean because they like clean, fresh water and they're gonna get sticky with all that sweet, sugary stuff. Yes, exactly. So that's it for our warblers and orioles. Hope you guys got a few tips there and Cheryl's gonna do our plant spotlight next. Yeah, so I have a plant spotlight and my plant I chose is probably not one we wanna actually plant in our yard, but I just wanted to um, put it out there. It's sumac and I am actually not a fan of um, this relative of the poison ivy because I'm allergic to poison ivy and poison sumac. And I'm not necessarily saying that sumac is poison, uh, like poison ivy, but um, <clears throat> it is native to this area. And so if you have a back lot or a corner of your yard and it's growing there, I'm putting this out there so that people understand, um, our listeners get that it's a native plant and it has a purpose. And not only that, it's most um, popular as a native plant because it's used in non-alcoholic beverages. So it's actually, oh. it, the berries that it pr produces, we can actually um, eat. Hmm. It might, uh, well, the bear, like beverages might well be considered coffee, tea, um, or soda pop um, for the Southwest. And that's actually what pioneers used to make coffee and tea and um, uh, drinks while they were um, traveling across our, our desert. It's a plant of the chaparral, so it is an attractive uh, plant to birds, especially warblers. It grows in the mountains and the deserts. The bushes may reach up to eight feet high. The current size berry has a sour taste and a sweet, almost sugary outer coating, which is probably um, satisfies both birds, the ones that have the sweet tooth and the one ones that don't and because the inside is tart and some sumacs are male and female so you can have male plants and they won't yield berries because you don't have a female nearby to cross pollinate with um, they are a pretty bush uh, plant and in the fall the leaves often turn red offering an autumn display so it's not one that i'm going to run out and plant in the corner of my yard but if you already have it there, I'm just putting it out there to let you know that it's not necessarily a plant that we want to dig up and throw out. Um, it does serve a purpose. And if you want to attract those birds that eat berries, you might just want to leave it sitting in that corner. Just, yeah. Just don't touch it with short sleeves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed our mini migration talk about Orioles and Warblers. Keep your eyes out for those pretty orange and yellow colors. And just to let you know, also, if you've been listening to those bird noises in the background, we do have our uh, Cornell website up actually on the Ithaca site, which is sponsored by Wild Birds Unlimited. And we've been listening to the birds all morning long. And so that might be on our podcast as well. But thank you guys for listening to our Orange Feathers in the Desert. And good luck finding them. Yes. <laughs>